Welcome aboard Beef Station once again. Here we are at episode 15. I'm Oscar. Andrew. Let's kick it off. Yeah. How you doing, dude? How's I'm the good. week been? Good. Yeah? It's been a busy one, actually. Yeah. I was very busy. It was a busy little bee. Feels like we haven't done this in a little while, even though I know it's only been... It's been one week. <laughs> about a week or yeah, so. it's been one week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to get oh, taken yeah. down. <laughs> Not for the not for the real <laughs> rip-off licensed music that we've used at the start and end of every episode no, no, no. thus far. For that shitty impersonation of that one song. <laughs> or maybe for our second in a row racially themed episode of Beef Station. Yeah, true. Yeah. Let's see how we go. It's the two wokest boys alive dig in for another that, week. I can't fucking remember what it was. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, by all means. You're welcome. <laughs> what I'll do is, in 15 minutes when my brain has it, like, randomly pop into my, my consciousness, <laughs> I'll just say it, and it won't be anywhere as good as it would have been if I'd managed to remember it. As now. long as it doesn't sound awful out of context, we're fine. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Did you say you had a bit to start us off? Yeah, so... um Listener of the show, Marin, uh, bloody loved when I brought up that little factoid about um, the art piece involving the organ that they've been playing for 30 years or whatever. (laughs) So today, I've got another little fun fact that I heard this week. Also unrelated completely to film. It's an accordion Um, that they've been playing for 40 years in Argentina. (laughs) No, not related to music either. Um, No, I just happen to account... And this might be a fact that, like, a lot of people know, but um, I only only learned of it recently, and I think it's fucking interesting. (laughs) You know the board game Monopoly, right? (laughs) Yeah? Yeah? I told you it was unrelated. (laughs) So, the initial... uh, This this isn't you, like, just now finding out about Monopoly. (laughs) You ever heard of the board game Monopoly? (laughs) Um, No, I found out that the original version of Monopoly was a game called uh, The Landlord's Game, invented by a woman called Lizzie Maggie at the turn of the 19th century. And she was a Georgian economist who uh, they believe that land tax should, uh, land should be owned publicly, right? <laughs> the the point of this, the point of this is I thought it was really interesting because the original version of Monopoly, The Landlord's Game, mm-hmm. um, was invented to show people how private ownership of land is really shitty and that um, people don't earn their way into that and that everyone should benefit from it, right? Right. But then at a dinner party, she was showing off the idea to a group of her friends and one of the guys or one of the women that was there, her husband, Charles Darrow, fucking stole the idea and turned it into a game about trying to get as much of a land grab as you possibly can. Defeating the purpose of the whole game in the first place. Yeah, and Parker (laughs) Brothers multiple times turned down... Uh, Lizzie's original version of the game because they said it was too complicated. Yeah. Charles Darrow went to them with this new version of the game. They said, fucking yep. And then a little while afterwards, they started getting worried about uh, being sued because they absolutely ripped the shit off someone's idea. Yeah, but it was like the 1940s. They didn't have copyright. Yeah, no, no. Then, so right? what they did is they just bought all of Maggie's patents. Huh. They monopolized the patents. Uh, yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. No German organ, but you so know. So Charles Darrow, this absolute leech piece of shit, is like credited with the creation of the most famous board game in the world. Wow. And he just fucking stole the idea, which was the entire opposite of the point of the original game. <laughs> <laughs> the landlord's game. So yeah, well, there's a little fun fact. I got you. a little monopoly fun fact for you. Oh, there's you? this um I saw some posts on I don't know, Reddit or whatever, about it was this Monopoly set that was given to soldiers during World War II and it was like tools to escape from prisoner of war camps hidden inside a Monopoly set. Oh. <laughs> um, and it was stuff, yeah, really cool. And it was stuff like the board was cloth and there was a secret map on the other side of the board or something. <laughs> and there were all sorts of different little um, uh, bits of kit 
hidden inside the set. Were people just stupider back then? Because <laughs> it feels like, like that's what's on the other side of the board? No, like- shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like it's they wrote on the front instead of Monopoly, it just says this way up only, and the guards were just like, mm, okay. <laughs> like one of the pieces is a tiny little actual file. Like that's a weird board game piece, but I guess I just won't inspect it at all. Um, well, yeah, look, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I'm trying to sort of talk slowly so I can find like any amount in of case detail. It wasn't clear that we're already my... stalling in the start <laughs> of this episode <laughs> about my my secret prisoner of war sets, but I can't. So you're just gonna have to Did Google you make that. them up in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, maybe it was something like they didn't give a shit about looking at actual um, Monopoly sets, but like the map was made of silk, so it wouldn't rustle. Mm. And all the little pieces maybe did things. And yeah, that's cool. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the the the, the chance cards were different passports. And One shit. of them is like Who a knows? chewing gum piece that when you chew it, you get three <laughs> seconds until it blows up or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that maybe. is neat. Should we just start talking? About yeah, the we movie? should start talking about movies. <laughs> Sorry, Marin, we tried. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's an interesting little fun fact. <laughs> Okay, so the movies that we're doing this week, and you hinted at it earlier, being uh, of racial significance, mm-hmm. um, we have chosen to do 2018 film Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, Crasians. Crasians, which is probably how we're <laughs> going to refer to it um, from now on. Um, and uh, 2017 film uh, The Big Sick. Yeah. Starring and written by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily V. Gordon. That one's directed by Michael Showalter. Crazy Rich Asians, uh, written by Peter Chiarelli and Adele Lim. I didn't realize it was based on on a book. Yeah, the Um, director was John M. Chu, but it was based on a book by Kevin Kwan, um, who is a Singaporean-American novelist. Funny that. So, in case anyone hasn't seen it, um, Crazy Rich (laughs) Asians is... Uh, I guess we'll give a bit of an overview of each film. Yeah. Well, John Chu, most well known for directing Step Up to the Streets. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> there you go. Hey. So this film, bit of a step up in some regards as well. To Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's, yeah, uh, it's it's got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of press around being a Chinese-American film. Um, yeah. But I didn't realise going into it that it was actually... Uh, Chinese Singaporean, yeah, American, yeah. Um, I think I think I think it's been praised pretty broadly, or maybe even recognised broadly mm. as being one of the first films ever to have one of the first big mainstream Hollywood films to have an all Asian cast. Um, the story is very much centred around Asian culture, yeah. Um, as far as we know, I mean, again, again, as two woke white dudes talking out yeah. of their ass about this film, there's only so much we can speculate on about how authentic the film is, but it's certainly. Yeah for a mainstream audience, feels to be, if not authentic, then <laughs> different to the the yeah. middle-class Australian lives yeah, we sure. lead. Yeah. Um, it, feel, it feels like it represents a certain amount of culture in an authentic way. Um, oh, I think so. And I think the fact that, um, you know, so many people... It was written by a Singaporean-American... Um, Apparently about his experiences growing up in Singapore and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think there is definitely... Um, an a- Authenticity is a bad word when you really dig down <laughs> into it, but or, or, some authenticity to yeah. the story. But essentially it's a rom-com, right? It's... Yeah, I, and I think yeah, that's the most yeah, interesting yeah, thing yeah. about it is that if you take away all the, I mean, strip away all of the hardest service yeah. level, but like, yeah, exactly, all the all the veneer or whatever of mm. like the the 
unusual casting and the unusual setting and the unusual culture the film has sort of branded itself with or identifies yeah. itself as. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's unfair. All I mean is when you take away all of that, it really feels like a, a standard middle-of-the-road to me. Rom-com. Rom-com yeah. uh, American Hollywood rom-com. Yeah. Yep, it definitely has a lot of those hallmarks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which, which maybe is nice because I mean, it, if you compare it to the big, the big sick from it, the big sick has these really great examinations of American Indian kind of cultural identity that yeah. Indians and Pakistanis and things living in America might have problems with. Yeah, but it also I think suffers perhaps from being a bit of an independent, low budget film that not many people would end up having seen. So, well, sure, they have this little message they have with the film that's great, and mm. they have this fantastic racial commentary, and it's this great film, but not many people are going to end up seeing it Yeah, yep. as a consequence yep. of perhaps how niche it is. Maybe that's unfair, because I think Big Sick is great. But yeah. I think... It, it earned it, 10 cra- times its budget at box well, office, yeah, sure. which is pretty but insane. I suppose all I'm saying which is, is cool. that like, Crazy Rich Asians is like... They're not like, oh, yeah, sure, we're going to make this film that really authentically represents your culture and has this all-Asian cast, but it's mm. going to be a small little film that no one sees. This is like a huge, big-budget film yeah, that's yeah, yeah. as, yeah. Big, it's, as, it's Hollywood. as yeah. big as any other rom-com I yeah. can remember coming out in the last few years. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, it's funny. It, it, it's earned... So I mean, it has a fucking thirty million dollar budget. Thirty million dollar budget compared to we should we haven't summarized what the big sick is for people who haven't seen. Yeah, we'll it, get to so it. we'll jump back to that in a sec. But um, the budget for Crazy Rich Agents was thirty million. It's already it only came out a little while ago, like two weeks, something like that. Somewhere, yeah, a week or two weeks. I think I'm measuring that by us not being able to see it last <laughs> week because <laughs> it hadn't come out yet. So. Um, limited release a couple of weeks ago and then proper yeah. release. It's already so budget of thirty mil. It's already earned one hundred and forty five million which is really, really good, I think. Uh, whereas uh, Big Sick had only a reasonably meager budget, $5 million, and it earned 56 mil. So it's already been kind of eclipsed by um, Crazy Rich Asians, but it was also, you're right, on a much kind of... I think it had a much smaller intended scale. Yeah. I think that's really interesting if you look at like the budgets of films versus how much money they make back. Because you said what? Mm. That this film so far, and I know it's only just come out, but this film, for example, has times, made 150 mil. Budget, yeah. yeah. But then if you look at like The Big Sick, it's made 10, ten times. times its budget, but it, it had a but budget of 5 million and has made 50 million. Yeah. It's only made 50 million, but they only put 5 million into it. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, I think it's interesting that. I mean, making a giant, big production film, this must take longer. It must be a giant well, fuck around. When you look at films on a macro scale like like yeah. this, it's like, yeah, Titanic costs like $460 million or something to make. Yeah. And I think it's grossed a billion, mm. but they only doubled their money. <laughs> you know, it's I mean, like, I don't know if the math checks out, but yeah, I mean, it's, I like, something like, it's that, like, yeah, you want to hope you made a fucking billion dollars. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and think- they made them... $500 million of profit. Yeah. However, it also cost an unbelievable amount yeah. to sink well, in. Whereas see, five mil for the big sick is, is yeah. crazy. Well, see, I'm sure there are some studios that do this and it does exist, but like you can have studios that just make little indie films that you could just make a film, have a studio that just makes little hugely successful indie films. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah we, we thought we'd compare these two because they both sort of center themselves around a relationship. Um, that relationship involves... Uh, Asian slash immigrant uh, kind of lifestyles and cultural values and and, and a bit um, of a culture clash backgrounds. type yeah. thing. So we thought it might be an interesting thing because they do, as much as they have that similarity and that shared kind of core, yeah. they are very much aiming to do separate things yeah. created by vastly different visions. And, well, very uh, different films. And they serve different purposes. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so The Big Sick... 
I don't know which we want to talk about first, but the big sick. We can talk the big sick, yeah. Um, Kumail Nanjiani is a uh, so he plays he plays himself in the film, and the character of his girlfriend in the film is the character of his wife, not played by his actual real life yeah. wife. Played by <laughs> which an must actress. have been uncomfortable because I think <laughs> yeah, his like, wife, honey, I'm good enough to act as me, but you're <laughs> not good enough to act as you. I think because like, it's it's a film about their relationship mm. um, and about experiences they had when their relationship was starting leading up to them getting married yeah um and they wrote it so kamal and his wife emily wrote the film together over the course of a number of years yeah. and so when the film was actually being shot i imagine that emily was like involved with the production a lot yeah and she so, was apparently. <laughs> to have all these scenes i think they said in interviews it was really strange to have all these scenes where like kamal had to then like kiss and like get it on his with like fake wife. his fake wife while <laughs> yeah. emily was sitting right Just there a, yep that's good that's accurate description <laughs> yeah um, so yeah, Kamal Nanjiani, Pakistani-born American comedian. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the, you know, this is, this is a rom. Oh, it's not really. It's sort of a rom-com. It's way less on the rom thing of things. It's more yeah. of a. It's just more of a comedy movie uh, about that kind of has this plot point of a relationship because. Um, spoiler alert: The Big Sick is referring to a coma that his girlfriend ends up being placed under. Like, like, a f- like a few weeks into them not really having dated that much, yeah. Emily falls into a coma. Being pretty, pretty yeah. in love with each other. Em- yeah. Emily falls into a coma, and so the film is mostly not even about the interaction between Kamal and Emily. It's about Kamal meeting. Emily's, Emily's parents. parents at the mm. hospital and so the weird dynamic that happens there. Emily's a lot parents of the played by uh, Ray Romano and Holly and Hunter. Holly Hunter, yeah. who are both abs. Actually, uh, uh, everyone in this movie, everyone is fantastic, is amazing. But yeah. Ray Romano and Holly Hunter are are um, still even a cut above. I really, think really cool. Really, yeah. like uh, Ray Romano gets a lot of shit for Everybody Loves Raymond, <laughs> um, but I think really he? what he's yeah, I think people don't don't look too fondly upon that show. Yeah, wow. Um, but I don't think that, you know, the main issue with that was Ray's acting ability. And, um, <laughs> he's definitely, uh, he's definitely put on some pretty, um, pretty incredible performances. And this is one of them, I think I really found. And Holly Hunter as well. Just so, such a genuine, she plays that like tough as nails, angry yeah. mom. She's the voice of uh, Mrs. Mrs. Incredible. Mrs. Incredible, that's right. Yeah. So she's got that which southern really kind of cool draw, which is to, nice yeah. to listen to. Um, and so and they're, they're great. Both, they have this really excellent chemistry. Um, and I don't know how much that reflects Emily's real life parents, but I hope it does because, like, they're yeah. just the most likable characters. You know, it starts. It sounds like a bit of a cliche, but it doesn't feel like it when it's when you're watching it on the screen. Yeah. That like they start knowing. Uh, that their relationship is kind of um, the way that Emily sees it. Their relationship is a bit destined for failure because she finds out that Kamal had a prearranged marriage and that he's kind of trying to bail from. Kamal has we haven't explained. Kamal has these Pakistani traditional Muslim parents yep. who want to get him in an arranged marriage. They, they live all in a, live in America. They all live in yeah. America, but Kamal has. His, his family has had history where, like, I think one of his cousins or something married a white person, and that was a huge taboo thing, and he was disowned, and this cousin was disowned from the family yeah. completely. So he doesn't so want to be that. Kamal's afraid yeah. of telling his parents that he's in a relationship with a white person um, because it's a huge taboo topic in his family. Mm. Um, so I think for the first, the first few weeks that he's dating Emily, he doesn't tell his parents 
that he's dating Emily, and yep. so they continue with this prearranged marriage thing, and that's what leads. And to And he's their already on kind of rough ground because um, in in real life and in the film, mm. he is a stand up comedian, which is obviously not a particularly like prestigious career. Career, yeah. yeah. And I think without without wanting to just go through and summarize the plot too much, the interesting part of the film is that. It's all about these family dynamics and these culture dynamics. So a lot of the film yeah. is Kamal interacting with his parents and these women that they introduce him to is sort yeah. of the prearranged marriage thing. Um, and then Kamal interacting with Emily's parents who maybe don't really like him that much because well, they the, think that he's fucked her over somehow. The reason that, yeah, what, what I was getting at is that yeah. the reason why they, they start on, on shaky territory is because yeah. he's the one that has to go and tell them that their daughter is in a coma. Yeah. But before she fell into the coma, she mentioned that Kamal had broken up with her. Yeah. So their understanding is, this is our girlfriend's ex-boyfriend who totally fucked her around. Sorry, yeah. Um, Who totally fucked her around and, you know, why would we... Why are you even of, visiting her at the yeah, hospital? Exactly. Or do we care like, about you? You clearly don't care about her at yeah. all. And so he kind of has to win or win them over. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and that, as I said, sounds like a bit of a cliche, but mm. really, it's just great, and it's a really good platform for some uncomfortable chemistry, some real like victory moments. The whole film is really funny, yeah, but not in a saccharine way. It's just genuinely like feels really human and heartwarming. So human, yeah. yeah. This is one of the best scripts for this style of movie. I think it was nominated for an Oscar for best original screenplay. Yeah, that was so which fucking is incredible. Proud. Um, so Cam- the fact that Kamel and his wife wrote the screenplay mm. is awesome. And he, you know, he's a stand-up, obviously by trade. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, he knows what works and what doesn't, and I think he's managed to translate that. To to film yeah. really well. And I think this film was produced by Judd Apatow as well, and Kamel mm, right. has, had somehow become friends in the industry with Judd Apatow Probably for a while. Probably through Silicon Valley. I'm, oh, I don't think that, that, that's. I, I don't think it's the same guy. But I think Judd, Judd Apatow is the. Um, uh, oh, I can't think of a single film he's done now. I think he do, he does like Super Bad and all that type yeah. stuff. No, no, no. I and, know, um, but uh, I'm but, guessing that Silicon Valley yeah, maybe, involves yeah, a fair few people. Yeah, yeah. but so so Kamel plays. He, he workshopping the script for a while. Yeah. I think it's the same idea as like when you have a band that comes out with their debut album. Often it's great because you have these these set of songs that you've been developing for 50, you know five years or something. Yep. In the same way, this is this is a script that. It's very true to home for them. They've work. They've been working on it for ages and mm. ages and ages. So I mean, if they come up with another film, I'll be looking forward to it. But I oh, can't yeah. imagine it'll be anywhere as good as this one. No, probably not. Yeah. Um, it'll be a bit of like second album syndrome. I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something I thought was interesting about you're uh, talking about the casting is the casting of his parents. Mm. So I think Kamal said he asked, uh, he asked his dad, like, "Oh, who would you want me to get to play to you. play you?" Yeah. And. Um, his dad was like, ah, Anupam Kher, who we don't know. But apparently in <laughs> India, Anupam Kher is this huge actor and that will be the equivalent of being like, just saying, oh, can you get Robert De Niro? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> and so he actually got him. That's cool. And that's who, he's just like apparently huge uh, Indian actor who he yeah. got to play his dad and his dad got to meet him and it was this cute little moment. And, oh, that's yeah. sweet. <laughs> it's I just a nice little know. bit of star this, power This film, film reeks of stuff like that. Where it's yeah. Just like moments of where they, they've just genuinely like, because there's so much crossover already between their real life and, and the film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like, I don't know. It's just really like, they didn't have to, stuff in this film doesn't feel forced or unrealistic because I think it's so strongly influenced, like some parts of it are fictionalized, but it's so strongly influenced by just their genuine experience. Um, A a significant part of The Big Sick is uh, real elements from Kumail's stand-up routines, which is cool because, you know, you get to see him um, 
kind of like mastering his craft and and sometimes bombing and yeah, and it also kind of shows how then in the plot. Yeah, and so it also kind of shows how the emotional beats of the film affect his stand up. Mm. And so when he's going through a particularly rough patch in the film, he it, has it this awful set. Quality. Yeah. Yeah. And she they initially meet cuz she heckles him on stage. Yeah. So it's all that's all kind of interconnected. Yeah, um, it's a really interesting kind of glimpse break. into the sort of the working life of that yeah. kind of thing. Your uh, your your humble co-host's actually got to meet this guy. Yeah, uh, we, when we, we were in the Edinburgh Fringe. We went to the comedy festival Gap years ago, back yeah. before he was famous. Oscar, Thank you. Uh, Completely fucked up introducing <laughs> yeah. him. Kamail was like shaking the hands of audience members outside the show and be like, oh, thanks for coming. They'd be like, oh, great show, Kamail. And he'd be like, oh, thanks for coming. And the next person would be like, oh, great show, Kamail. I really enjoyed it. He'd be like, thanks yeah. for coming. And I was so nervous. And it was my turn at the front of the line. And Kamail's like, hi, how's it going? And I was like, oh, thanks for coming. And Kamail goes, Th- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was more recovery from that point, life. but one of my favorite <laughs> memories from my gap year, yeah. Um, yeah. But no, and what was what was cool about that, and the reason I'm bringing it up, other than to just boast, is um, <laughs> is that parts of the stand up that he did in this film were in the routine that we saw in Edinburgh. I don't so, even remember that. Yeah, so his real stand up is in the show. That's not oh, all. Yeah. That's not all material. No, but it's not all material that he's written. Through right, it's stuff yeah. he's even involving his own pride. Like maybe he had shows that bombed, yeah. and he used the material from the shows that bombed to influence, um, you know, the the work that he was doing yeah. in the film. I don't well, know. But I that's that's really cool. Like, were, I thought. Yeah. Well, they were talking in interviews about how about shooting the stand up scenes and about how there were bits of the film where he would have to pretend to be bad. At, he was like, oh, I had to pretend to be bad at comedy, and yeah, it was yeah, yeah. pretty difficult. Yeah, it's <laughs> real hard for a guy like me. Yeah. yeah. I just mm. think it's a, it's such a cool film, and I also wonder whether because it is based on such a true part of their life, and it's based on an actual experience they had. Yeah, obviously it's difficult making this film, but part of me is like, is this cheating? You sort of get to yeah, ha- yeah, hack yeah. your way into a great film. It's 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 like such a a great combination of events where like he's a great comic actor and stand-up comedian mm. and he's a great writer and his it's wife is a great writer well and they know all these people in Hollywood and they had this crazy thing happen to them. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah, yeah. they're going to make a comedy film about that and it's going to be funny and it's going to be good. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to almost win an Oscar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd be very... I don't know whether it's fair to say it's cheating because obviously it takes a lot Absolutely of effort. Absolutely not. <laughs> no, but like... It's <laughs> yeah, just like, still I'll, had to do it. I don't think that... It, I think that this film would be... I'm, I'm almost not impressed by it. Like, I'm just... I yeah. sort of watch it and be like, of course it's good. Yeah, You guys didn't have to try. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but so I'd be, I, I would always be more impressed by this movie if they go and make a second film that's also good. Yeah. It's not just yep. about yep. like, yep. Yep. oh, the year after what Emily got sick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The next year. Um, yeah, I, the I, big I, sicker. <laughs> 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 Fucking good one. <laughs> That's <laughs> really loving his own joke there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think just running like systematically through a bunch of the elements um, of the of this movie, like not not the plot, but the acting is stellar. Yeah, uh, as as mentioned, the script is great. The, I don't think there was a single moment in this movie that felt forced or unrealistic. The characters were really well developed. Yeah, um, the way that they inter because it, it it was a bit almost like Seinfeldy in the way that you had a lot of different permutations of characters interacting with each other. Yeah, that all worked out really great. The way that it's shot and edited and cut is all really fantastic like it's not you know, it is really good it it's not trying to be art house cinema yeah but it doesn't ever get in the way of 
the emotion of the movie. Yeah, no. Um, think- when it needs to linger, it does. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, thinking out loud now about the whole characters thing, I think Bill said about Friends as well, about mm. how all the characters in Friends were so good because you could put any two of them in a scene together and you'd have a scene that could just go. Mm. Um, and it was almost almost right itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think the same could probably be said of this movie. There are some characters that are even on screen for like just brief moments of time that are great. Like I think Kamel's roommate... That's that shitty comedian that yeah. everyone rags on. Um, Kamel's yeah. friends that are the other com- other comedians. That's play- is that played by Bo Burnham? It's not that not that exact one, but yeah, one right. of the one of his friends is Bo Burnham because they they're using a bunch of uh, other famous stand-ups basically yeah. to play the stand-ups around them, and sometimes some of them are shit. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so his roommate is like a stand-up that's kind of doing doing his thing with him and is absolutely dog shit and, and like, oh, bombs like Greg. every time he yeah. comes on stage yeah <laughs> um but it just makes me think that like you could almost have this as like a 10 part hbo series yeah or something. definitely be just as good yeah i mean i'm not sure if it would have worn a bit thin with basically mm. like having to develop. episode eight emily's still in a yeah, coma exactly, exactly It'd be like the know? walking dead of indie, yeah, <laughs> indie like, comedy dramas how many times can he hang out and have pizza with ray romano <laughs> before um before it gets a little boring so i think that uh, that's another part of it that's good is the pacing worked out really yeah. really nicely um that it's it never you know you don't think sometimes with these films i find myself not not Consciously but subconsciously wishing that the plot would move on to characters that were more interesting to me. Yeah. And, um, you know, like y- y- one... Ca- I-, I found that a lot with, like, Game of Thrones where I'd be I'd be like, oh, fuck this. Can we just get back to, like, a, a, a Tyrion bit or, like, a... You know, Can we just go back John to Daenerys? I want to see, like see which bit of the giant desert she's yeah. walking through with her army now. Literally never thought that, but... <laughs> um, yes, no, that kind of thing. And, and that doesn't happen in this movie. They're yeah, all... No. You're happy to be seeing whoever is on screen on screen. Yeah. Um, Go, there's not really any point. So the most interesting things to talk about, I think, with these yeah. kind of films are the characterization and the comedy and, and, and the scripting. Yeah. Um, and we've kind of covered that. Yeah. I think talking about the plot any further, it won't be interesting to th- listen to. Yeah, it, I don't think it'd be useful to spoil it. Yeah, no. exactly. I don't think we need to. So go, seriously, go see this film. I reckon anyone could enjoy this film. And it's a yeah. pretty rare thing for us to be able to say that because a lot of films are really targeting a certain mm. audience. This doesn't really. Yeah. Um, well, I think you're right about it being more of like a comedy drama rather than a rom-com. Yeah, And doesn't. I definitely feel like it kind of just feels, <laughs> you know how there are some movie, some movies or some TV shows where someone's like, what is it? And you go, is it a drama? And you go, yeah, well, drama makes it sound like it's just dry and boring. But it's yeah. not like a comedy where every character's coming out with zingers. It's just like just a normal human movie kind Except of thing. Except that's not normal. It's just like... A, a lot of them yeah. are trying to be something. Well, because it's... Yeah, exactly. But it's, this just feels... And a lot of TV shows... Like I was talking this week, I've been watching a lot of The West Wing this week. Mm. And that's definitely got a certain tone to it. But I wouldn't say it's a drama or a comedy. It just feels like a, a, a human story. Yeah. And it has all these different parts to it and it's quite complex. And I think in the same way, this feels like a very... Just a human story. Yeah. That has sl- sad bits and dramatic bits and there's funny bits because people are funny. Um, and I think... Often this film finds humour in Kamel being a naturally funny person or in the unusual situations that these different cultures of people find themselves in in direct comparison to uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which is like a, a classic mainstream American movie where it's just like, look at the crazy situation we put these people in. They're at a party and the dudes are wearing golden hot pants and there's loud music and she hates loud music kind of shit. We'll get onto that, yeah. Um, where I, I really think it's a it's a quality movie that you could watch with your mum and no one else. Now you're referring to the big, <laughs> the big sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The big sick. No, I think it's great. 
Yeah, it is really good. Um, and I, I think I, I loved it. Yeah, it was definitely in like my top couple of movies from last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, de- really I agree. Really and I definitely think that I mean the reason why we've perhaps chosen it to go with this, as you mentioned before, is that as well as having these commonalities between like you know with like a racial politics and mm. that kind of thing, there's a lot of emphasis on family in both of yep. these films, which is obviously inextricably linked to you know race and culture, e- ethnicity and background. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Specifically with Kamail's fear of not getting the approval that his that he wants from his parents mm. for his partner and all that. I think yeah. It's, I think um, outside of the movie, he said that it, or maybe no, within the movie, it took like a long time for his parents to even approve of Emily. I don't think you ever see them really do it. Like I think his mum refuses to speak to him in the movie for mm. extended periods of time because yep. he's dating Emily. So it's a, quite a serious, full-on bit. Yeah. Um. And I think he said in real life that like his parents for a long time weren't really comfortable with him being with a white person yeah. romantically. Yeah. And that after they had their marriage with their friends and family and stuff, they then had to like placate his parents, had a traditional Indian or Pakistani ceremony. Yeah, right. Um, where Emily had to dye her hair black, dress up in traditional, Jesus. traditional like wedding uh, Indian wedding garb, huh? and they got like a Muslim cleric to come in and marry them. Yeah, right. And when, uh, when he said, "Oh, it's Kamal," oh, it's like a, a good Muslim name, and Emily, he refused. Like, I'm not going to marry anyone named Emily. And so she had Jesus. to pretend to have an Indian name for the day, so that this fucking dude would marry. Like it was a, a full on thing, crazy. and they had to have this full on like. Uh, you know, Indian ceremony. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and like one thing that does run run really strongly through both of these movies is is that idea of like the struggle between, uh, I guess, the way that I kind of frame it is like American society is very individualistic. It's very yeah. focused on on defining yourself through what you do, who you are, what you individually have to your name. Whereas um, Pakistani and and especially Chinese. Um, societies are very much based on collectivism yeah and who who you are related to what your family is what your family's done it's much less about that kind of individual fulfillment yeah um, and and what the main characters in these movies really struggle with is balancing that I live in America a lot of the so- the society that I've grown up in is that individualistic, style that kind of is a little more self-oriented mm. and my family expects a very different uh set of values from me where i'm expected to marry based on what my family thinks is appropriate and yeah. you know I, I i need to um become a, a certain oh, i need to follow a certain career pathway that supports the family and and like you don't move away because then you won't be in contact with them anymore. And it's yeah. it's very much managing the conflict between kind of growing up in America and being from a background that isn't particularly tolerant of that kind of individualistic society. And I mean, American society is, is equally intolerant of kind of a <laughs> collectivistic perspective. So that's yeah. not asymmetrical, but they just need to need to struggle through it. And, and I guess they both focus on, on the problems that arise from that. And I definitely think that, that those are themes that are covered more specifically and addressed directly in Crazy Rich Asians. Certainly so more can, clear. So we can probably talk about that film? Yeah, sure. We'll yeah. move into it. So Crazy Rich Asians came out just a couple of weeks ago in yeah. 2018. Um, it stars... Oh, 
Some lady. Shitloads of people. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of the main character's Constance name. Constance Wu, <laughs> who plays Rachel. Yeah, so Rachel Rachel Chu is... <laughs> the name of the town's very similar. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's no. like our Tracy Jordan and Tracy... Whatever. I'm just going to stick to their first names. Yeah. Um, so Rachel is yeah. like a, a young economics professor that teaches at some... No, she's not... She's not a young. That's the other family. <laughs> she's a youthful the other, economics the other professor. Is Nick Young? <laughs> <laughs> she's an economics professor that teaches at some university in New York. Uh, New York Uni. Yep. yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. A university in New York. <laughs> um, and she meets this guy, Nick. Yep, played uh, by Henry Golding. Uh, and the film is about her going back to Singapore to meet Nick's family yeah for some wedding that they're attending yeah and the um, first indication that things aren't as they may have seemed is that when they both get on the flight to go over there yeah they're put straight into first class yeah and she's kind of like we can't afford first class and he's kind of like just go with it yeah, my family's yeah, comfortable yeah, it's, it's and so, a, and so you, you quickly find out that nick young is um a member of one of the most within the film one of the most famous richest families in Singapore. Yeah. And so they live in this enormous mansion house right in the middle of the city. Like a $200 million property. And a lot of the film is kind of like luxury porn. It's money porn. This is is the most money porn thing I've seen since like Wolf of Wall Street. Like Scorsese's cinema of... What is the cinema of... um, I don't know. It's like cinema of indulgence or luxury or something. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so... A lot of the film is not only like um, like a racial, ethnic culture clash thing because you have this Asian-American woman who's pretty much grown up as an American who then finds herself immersed in this very traditional Singaporean culture. So mm. you, don't, you don't only get that aspect of it, but you also get the fact that she has grown up quite middle class, quite perhaps poor, grew, grew up with a single mom yeah. living in a small apartment in New York. Yeah, moving... Single mom immigrant to New York, which is obviously going to place you in sort of lower yeah. middle class. Yeah, exactly. Um, moving to this hugely rich, influential family in Singapore that owns, you know, multiple resorts and buildings. And yeah, shit. they're one of those families. It's like a conglomerate family where they've got they've got their little, their things in real estate pies yeah. and banking pies and yeah, just like cross industry fucking money. Yeah. yeah, and already I don't really think this film is about anything. Like if you said <laughs> what happened for two hours, yeah. it's really just like oh, you know, she goes to a a. a, a bachelorette party and that happens for half an hour and he goes to something else and that happens for half an hour and then they go to this party and then they go to this rich thing and they do that rich thing and it's just a lot of excuses to show this amazing stuff like 50 sports cars in an airfield yeah i think um so i got like i think this film does some things really well um and i think it does some things really poorly Mm. and uh I, i i would say like overall um i Thought that it was on the good side of just pretty mediocre. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I, I wasn't particularly impressed by no, it at all. I really wasn't. I think it's great that you know you're getting uh, a more Asian representation and that kind of transnational yeah. perspective. But um, beyond that, yeah, and sort of some basic, uh, interesting turns of events in the storyline. Yeah, like um, the dialogue was like high school play level delivery. 
um, where like it was that it, you know how I talked about on the merger, yeah. Um, that but they would, people like, like finish their finish lines completely, line. and yeah. Then it was said... totally unnatural dialogue. Yeah. Um, there was so much. I don't know if you noticed or not, but once I noticed it, I couldn't kind of not notice it anymore. <laughs> that there's so much expositional dialogue in this film. Like yeah. I wrote down a couple of lines, um, things like. Oh, you've always wanted to go back to Asia, or or like you know, where's the, no one would say that to someone else in real life. Or like, um, the worst one that I found was um when a, a woman gives her husband a watch, and the woman is part of the one of the super rich families, and the husband is kind of just a normal. <laughs> She's guy. like the big hand tells the hours, and the little one tells yeah, the minutes. You've never seen a watch before. <laughs> um, no, she says, uh, I know you don't like expensive gifts, but you're not a colonel in the army anymore. You're a CEO now. <laughs> and it's just like, that's just disgustingly expositional. Like, who, if, if, if you were, <laughs> if someone said, can you imagine coming home and being like, I made you dinner because I know that you don't have time because you're working in that big firm. You'd just be like, what are you, who are you? It'd be like the Truman Show. You'd just be like, who are you talking to? You know? Yeah, it's crazy shit. Um, And there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, like, direct exposition. And I'm not sure... So, if you look at why that might be, I don't know if they felt like without that... um, Maybe it was coming from a book that they they needed to have a lot of, like, those really complicated family ties come across. And they they didn't just want to, like... I don't know. I feel like it well, almost no, could have been solved by by having I one think- of those shitty like splash screens, which has the character on it and says like Nick, son of the Young family or but whatever. There are you know? so many characters in this movie. Yeah, that it's like hard. that character, for example, I don't even remember who he was, who he was married to. There are like thirty named characters in this movie. Because Nick, Shitloads. so the main character Rachel, her boyfriend Nick, who she goes along with. Yeah, so Nick and Rachel are the main partner. He has like. Five cousins, yep. and then all of those cousins have Who partners. Who are all introduced, by the way, through an expositional conversation that they have in first class on the plane, where he's like, this is my first cousin, blah. She owns this and this and this. This is my second cousin, yeah. blah. And he's they like, a cousin this, three this, does this. Yeah. He has these three it's main insane. attributes. You, you get and like, ticks these boxes. It, it would be less expositional if he was standing in front of a whiteboard and just yeah. like, they just broke the fourth wall and did this presentation where it was like, like here's a mind map of my family. These are the links. Or if they like, turn on all the lights and handed out cue cards to everyone. Yeah, exactly. In the Cinema. You should get a pamphlet with just like bios. It was like a fucking game of Guess characters. Who. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. I. Yeah. I didn't even. Yeah. Right. And so the problem with that was so the way they introduced the three, the you know, the three main cousins who all have their own partners and all have their own families it was yeah. like by the time they started describing. They describe them all. You're right. There's like a, a ten minute yeah, sequence it's, it's where they just, they like just describe the characters. Yeah. I've forgotten who and the first person is. Obviously, you're seeing the characters act stuff out on screen. It, it yeah. like cuts away from their conversation and then it's narrated. Mm. But yeah, you've forgotten exactly who they are. And so most of the film was spent with me being like, oh, "Who the fuck is this person?" And they'll yeah. just they'll just say like, "Where's they'll, Alice?" And they talk about there were Alice. There's Alice. Times when I got characters confused. Yeah, when I forgot who characters were. And like, so I suppose and it, my point is. Yeah. I don't think the expositional shit matters about the fact that he was an army person and then he was a CEO. It didn't because at all. when you're like an hour and a half into the movie and this is like one of 16 minor bit part characters who don't have any payoff at all, which is fine, but yeah. it, it's just, it doesn't matter about. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I think one thing that this probably, and, and I, I guess this is where I'll really give it credit. Yeah. Is that to to give a bit of a brief overview of the storyline? Um, so yes, Nick is bringing Rachel, his girlfriend, over back to Singapore where he grew up for a big family wedding, and uh, I think that means a lot. I, I, again, 
getting a little bit out of my cultural expertise here, but I'm pretty sure that that means a significant amount more to someone in a collectivistic culture yeah. because like you're, you, oh, well, I think in the same way as over quite here. Christian as well, which yeah. is something that's kind of skimmed over. So you, I, I think they they don't really approve of a whole heap of dating outside yeah. of marriage and, well, or at least this specific yeah. family. But in, in the same way, understandably as over here, if you bring a girlfriend to meet your parents, for example, mm. it's a big step and sort of shows that you have some degree of commitment, yeah. I think. But, yeah. But I think it's amplified over there. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, oh, I don't know how best to summarize this because it's a complex plot, but someone finds out that Nick and Rachel are dating because they walk past them in a cafe and they, in like the worst, like, this is how millennials talk, am I right? Scene. Yeah. <laughs> it, you see that message that she sends through instant messaging, like, cross the world and, and they go through like this family is 50 famous, gossipy so it's people. Like, Nick yeah. Young spotted in a cafe in New York exactly, dating, yeah. who is this who woman? Who is this woman? And, yeah. and everyone's like, I don't know. OMG. And there's like emojis popping up all over the screen with like, it's divided into like six <laughs> parts and you see everyone like texting on their phones. And it's the, gross. Yeah, something that is cool about that is a lot of those little messages finish, it'll be like, oh, um, um, look at look at Nick Park. I don't even like the woman he's with. La little la. La, yeah, that, at the that end, is neat. It's yeah. a little linguistic quirk of emphasis. Singaporean it's like English. Using an exclamation mark. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's in the same way as we have like um or kinda or like. It's a little quirk of Singaporean English specifically. Yeah. And I was talking to a buddy well, of mine at work Chinese who's English from well. yeah who's comes from Malaysia, and he says that it's a quirk of Cantonese yep. that got carried over into Singaporean and Malaysian. Mm. Uh, Qualities, of, so it got, it's a it's a quirk of Cantonese that, that got carried over into Singaporean and Mandalay English variants, mm. Mm. Um, which is uh, cool that they had yeah, that in the film. Cool. And I, there's I a little actually, little bit know, of authenticity. I, I learned Mandarin briefly, and I do remember that they don't for for emphasis they have le, which is kind of like la. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but obviously, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I don't know if it's like a hang up from that original mainland Mandarin thing, but it's similar. Yeah. I think yeah. It's a lot of Asian languages have like an, a, an emphasis word rather than in English where it's tonal because the tone matters a lot more in language. So yes, you're right. It is super cool that they're representing that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and that does, you know, that, that idea of like texting the, the words in English, but then having the, the emphasis still, you know, um, yeah. like but I see Asian friends on Facebook mm. doing that too, which is cool. That's that's that really like but again, authentic thing. I don't know whether that's just like a surface level coverage of Asian culture so that yeah. white, white dudes can be like, oh, they, they get it. Mm. Um, I'd be interested... Um, whether I mean maybe we, maybe I should try and convince some of my buddies that come from Malaysia to watch it and ask them whether it's particularly authentic of the culture of that part of the yeah, world. Yeah, I got a bunch but, of Vietnamese friends, so I wonder if what their perspective on it would be. Yeah, but but, uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to say it feels authentic when I have no idea of knowing whether it is or well, not. What I was going to say is, it, there's it's very possible that you and I, having grown up in in Australian individualistic culture don't quite understand the implications of plot points because like you know if, yeah, exactly. if, if taking your girlfriend to a wedding is a much bigger thing in Singaporean yeah. Chinese culture than it would be to us they make a big deal out of it yeah. but whether or not that's like they're making a big deal out of it because it's a big fucking deal to us they just come across as really gossipy exactly but and so I then don't... that could be like oh no this yeah. is super important I agree so. and so I, oft, I, I honestly found a lot of the plot kind of Boring and mm. overstated for that reason. Like I feel yeah. like you're like, oh, we get it. The, you know, the, the mum's a bitch and the grandma's really judgy. But it's like maybe if I had grown up then, or if I understood properly the kind of culture yeah. of that part of the world, again, I would have a better appreciation for 
how true to life that is, even I, if I it is an exaggeration. In the same way as like you get some Australian comedies like The Castle or Kenny, where there are these ocker type blokes, and I imagine if you don't have an appreciation for the one. reality that's based on, you'd be like, "Oh, these guys are just ridiculous." Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think in terms of like that must that, that there must be some cultural significance to that. Well, obviously some, but that <laughs> that must be strongly culturally significant because you know it's something that you encounter in like two random movies about collectivistic versus individualistic cultures both orient themselves around the partner of um, a character from those families being from an individualistic perspective and that obviously not being particularly acceptable. You yeah. know, I think that there really is a nuanced cultural significance to bringing someone into the family like that. Yeah. And that, that, that while we can kind of look at and say, oh, I guess that's that's not the done thing understanding how that feels for that family is really difficult for yeah, us. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, I think, think there's it, a lot of focus did, on that because yeah. even though there are these two main characters, you, you really see a lot of the other members of Nick's family and you see the, the matriarchal figures of the family mm. talking about this American woman that their their boy is going to be, be involved with and all yeah. this sort of stuff. Yeah. And so uh, there's a lot of focus on the disapproval they have for Rachel. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the main, and plot how hard of Rachel this, finds the out. main plot of it is, is that Rachel kind of experiences a lot of turbulence from the family yeah. while she, so she gets asked along to like, she, the, she's there, they do the meeting, the family thing. There's a box party. There's a hen's night um, that are like obviously blown way out of scale because these people are fucking rich beyond. Yeah. Like the Bucks party is on an oil liner that like co- is converted thing, into yeah. a club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and then, you know, so the, there's meeting the family, there's that, and then there's the wedding itself, and then there's the aftermath of the wedding because obviously stuff goes a bit wrong. There's various and, family dinners and gatherings yeah, and things. Yeah, exactly. And I think that part of, you know, like one of the, one of the super interesting scenes is um, when like... Um, Rachel is uh, uh, the the offer is extended by Nick's grandma for Rachel to come over and learn how to make dumplings, um, which is uh, I think something that's that's pretty significant as a um, like a coming of age thing in yeah, in okay. Singapore Chinese culture. Um, it's kind of just one of those traditions that's passed down yeah. through the family. Again, it's a scene that felt special to me, but I didn't really know much about what was going on. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like the, there's a bait and switch there because you expect that that's kind of the inroad that she's making with the family through the grandma being all nice. And yeah. then like, I guess, uh, spoiler alert, um, but nothing like, I don't feel like it's going to ruin your experience of the movie. So if you're going to want to go and see it, yep, spoilers. Um, it turns out that the grandma is the one who actually really properly overrules that being an option of Nick yeah. and Rachel and says, like, you, it, you're you not allowed to be a member like, of the family. She sends out, like, a fucking private investigator. That's the mum. Investigate. I think, mom, I think they're sort of both... The mum brings that info to the grandma and the yeah. grandma, like, finally puts her foot down. But, yeah. So, you think that she's winning the grandma over and that the grandma's actually this nice old lady and then it turns out she's actually this nice old conservative lady. One thing that I don't... Um, well, she's, you know, she's not particularly nice, I guess, yeah. is the point. And, like, there's multiple kind of dominating matriarchal figures, which we've we've seen before in other films. Yeah. Um, but the, obviously there's that, that kind of, like, Singaporean and Chinese skin over it. Um, and uh, I don't understand very well how that, like, if you're coming from that background, are they more reasonable characters? Because to us, they're just the worst villains, you know, yeah. in this film. They're, like, they're the people that are getting in the way of the true love and this film does have a really like it is a chinese american film and the americanism i think 
kind of wins out in the end in in a way that or, or like a compromise i guess wins out yeah. in the end because um at the end of the day the people who are arguing for those traditional singapore chinese values compromise and and a kind of which is a bit of a weird moral, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm not for sure. For like a what... film that's trying to herald Singaporean culture. Yeah. To be like, yeah, but in the end, fuck his culture, they're going to get married and move to yeah, America. Yeah, and it's like, are they <laughs> are they meaning to... Well, it's not... I don't know if it's clear if he's moving to America because once they're getting married, if the family is accepting of it because she gets the ring. Yeah, So yeah. she gets a ring from Nick's mum, which is kind of like an endorsement from the person who's been trying to keep her from the family the whole time. Yeah. And so it's not super clear whether or not... Yeah, because she, she let her win that game of Mahjong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, as if so. Yeah, at the one of the final confrontational scenes, like Rachel plays a game of mahjong against um, Eleanor. No, is it Eleanor? Whatever the mum, the and mu- lets the mum win. Sure, she yeah, she 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 lets the mum win, but then like had a winning hand, and you you know it's over this conversation where she's like, "You're making Nick choose between me, so I'm going to make the choice for him, and I'll go." And it's very it's cool that it's mahjong, but it's very ham fisted. <laughs> Um, it would be like asking your grandma or like your partner's grandma to meet at a chess park and then playing a chess game with her and then yeah. being like, yeah, checkmate, but I'll quit. And it's like, <laughs> okay, fine. Like, I think you would be a bit like, if you were the mom in that situation or the grandma, you'd be like, you think you're real fucking clever asking me to meet at a chess park, huh? While you're making moves. Like, yeah. How yeah. about I'm busy? <laughs> um, yeah. So I, 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 yeah. I guess back to back to some of the some of the filmic elements of it. Yeah. Um. It's reasonably well shot, but doesn't really have anything interesting about it. The no. most interesting thing about it is all of the decorum and the aesthetic and and what's actually going on, which is yeah. that money porn thing. And even then, after a while. When once you get past that, fuck, it'd be good to live in a two hundred. It gets kind of boring It's like. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I don't care. Yeah, and, and there was some stuff. There were some scenes where I was kind of bored. Did you find that? No, I wasn't bored. I thought uh. it was interesting. I didn't like the acting or the dialogue, <laughs> with yeah. with a couple of exceptions. Like Henry and uh, sorry, Nick and Rachel are actually f- fine. Yeah. Um. There's a kind of close other couple. Um, I think Ast- Jimmy. I think Astrid, Jimmy O'Yang was funny. Astrid was good. Yeah, he's he's always good. Uh, Ken, ca- his character Ken, was awful. Ken Jeong yeah. was great. Who plays? Yeah, the, yeah, he was good as well. The really bad Asian stereotype from the Hangover films. Yeah. Um. He he was in it. Um. Which was he was cool. Aquafina, who played. Her friend. Um, I can't remember the character name, yeah, but she was know. in Ocean's Eight. Um, yeah. And she was actually she plays a similar straight man. Um, type thing straight, straight man I guess <laughs> uh, straight person humour character um, straight person humour character so not a straight man be, at all she's meant to be comedic relief um, but in, in at times she's great comedic relief but at times she comes across as a cringeworthy millennial which is yeah. something that also I really thought that um, this film had a very pro-capitalist narrative, which well, really yeah. rubbed me the it's wrong way. It's called Crazy Rich Asians. No, but that I expected it to be this thing where it was like, um, how disgusting is it that these people have built their wealth atop like mountains of basically bodies of slaves? No, no. But no, it was none of that. It yep. was like, how fucking good is it to yep. be an absolute yep. rich piece of shit? And so that's why I kind of think that like, maybe it's not, thinking out loud now, maybe it's not that it's very authentic because like, you know, for example, that the matriarchal figures, they're just rich snobs. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I think that if this film 
if you strip away the Asian aesthetic of this film, like if this film had been all white people and it had been set in like New York, mm. I think it would have just been trashy. Well, some and elements, I don't yeah. think that some elements would have had to change. But you're right. Once you, once you, kinda, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> but like they would, you, they wouldn't have had to go to New, New well, what, <laughs> Singapore for what one. I mean is, uh, when you the dumpling I, scene would have been way out of place. It's hard for us to tell how much of the Asian narrative, and I guess it was based on the book, so maybe there's a lot more than we're giving a credit. There's for. an air of authenticity to it. It's the hard to tell is, how much of yeah. that is token and how much yeah, exactly. of that is actually meaningful plot. And I feel exactly. like. Unfortunately, this suffered a lot from just like a really middle of the road Mamma Mia over the top wedding plot. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I think that's my main problem. But yeah, like, it's like exactly like it's it feels like if this had just been all white people set in America, I wouldn't have gone to see it. I think it would have yeah, been definitely not a yeah. trashy, yeah, gross rich person comedy in kind of the same way as like Adam Sandler movies are like a romp through. Hawaii or Barbados yeah, exactly. or something, yeah, and it's just and the whole movie like is just like, wouldn't it be great to be this rich for two hours? Disgusting rich person in Singapore, yeah. yeah. And I think that's a lot of this movie. And I, I uh... one thing that I found funny, so the wedding scene is actually one of the better scenes in the movie. I thought the actual yeah. the friend's wedding that they go to, um, because it is that's really the scene where I got really boring. Beautiful. Where I got bored. I mean, yeah, it's a, it is a really beautiful ceremony, but mm. I just couldn't stop thinking about like the more money is spent on a wedding. Oh the, yeah, the funnier I find it that like in in five years, like. <laughs> that the, they're having an argument because like one of them refuses to shit with the door closed or something. <laughs> it's just like we spent forty million dollars on a wedding, but then like we're both just wearing pajamas and like having normal married couple shit. It does. <laughs> it definitely does that Hollywood style, um, kind of hyperinflation of the importance of love and 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 like that romanticization of of intimacy and and stuff like that. It's a oh, very yeah. unrealistic portrayal. Of a lot of the concepts that it's kind of looking at. Yeah. So I think it really does kind of suffer a bit from that. It also does this really gross thing, which is like that there's um and I've I've heard about this talked about elsewhere. It does this uh th- there's nobility in being poor thing. Like where it kind of it, it has this like morality of um of being rich and poor. Yeah. And like Rachel, who comes from this kind of middle class background is like, she's kind of like, I don't need all this money to be a good person. And it's like, well, that's true, but you shouldn't, you're not a better person because you aren't accepting of those like riches and that finance, you know? Yeah. It's like, all that's doing is is kind of making excuses for rich people to stay rich because, <laughs> th- th- like, yeah, it might make you a bad person, but I don't need that money. That's why y- you keep your wealth. Yeah, I'll be poor and happy. It's like, shut it's like, up. Shut the fuck up. That's not the way the world works, man. She would be like, she would be happier and a better person if she had more money. And how's that for you an know? anti-capitalist sentiment? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this was a very pro-capitalist film, and as yeah. I said, it really did rub me. Uh, the wrong way and the difference between this and like again Wolf of Wall Street Wolf of yeah. Wall Street is about white dudes <laughs> but one of the mor- like one of the the moral lessons from Wolf of Wall Street is that these people are fucked like they're doing yeah that they, they are ruining they're killing themselves because yeah. of their hedonism and their excess why can't they be and, a film um, about the nice rich people huh yeah and like at the <laughs> end of the you know the the, 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 the moral of um, of Wolf of Wall Street is like uh, Jordan Belfort is like a rapist who's a terrible father, um, and he's a drug addict. He's under house arrest all the time. And then the the absolute meta lesson from that is that the actual Jordan Belfort 
got to act in the film because bad consequences never really happened to rich people. Yeah. He played a part Which, it in It seems a bit film. too self-aware. I can't imagine that he... <laughs> well, it was very... No, it, he's just actually a shithead, like, yeah. in real life. Um, and so, like, if Martin Scorsese could have been like, hey, man, do you want to come and be a part of this film that's all about how much of a sick ass you are and how cool the things that you did to all those people in Wall Street were? He would have been like, yeah, fuck yeah. That sounds awesome, man. <laughs> but actually, obviously, it's been very critical of that lifestyle. I never really thought about Whereas, it. Like, if Martin Scorsese is deliberately trying to demonize Jordan Belfort, why the fuck did he put him in the movie? <laughs> for exactly that reason, to show an, an absolute lack of consequence. Yeah, but he's the one, this he's the one extending that, that olive branch. Like, yeah, but Martin Scorsese the person... is the only one that would have the power to be like, no, I don't want this shit ahead of my movie. But instead he's like, you know what? Here's the darkest no, thing. It's I'm going to let him be in my movie, even though I don't like jail. it. He should be in jail, is the point. But he's not in jail. He can fucking act in a movie. Right, okay. It's, it's to show that he has the freedom to still be able to put himself in front of you even if while he's doing it it's just for dumb self-help seminars like yeah, okay. he, he he did not experience any real consequence of his actions and that's yeah. the point that's why Scorsese would choose to have him on screen so this Crazy Rich Asians movie absolutely has no consequences for like it, it shows it never goes to show um, a lot of the, the there's like scenes where you watch servants like assembling food or delivering food or like basically hospitality workers for those yeah. for those families it never explores how shit those people's lives are it yeah. never explores what what the people had to do e- everyone in this film um has this kind of like underlying concept that they work really hard and they don't they were born into riches like the film feels really largely insensitive hard. yeah and i think very, that maybe that serves no depth yeah and maybe that serves to go with the the narrative of like the poor American girl who gets finds herself immersed in this and doesn't like it and sort of oh, feels like she's better than That's it. That's that nobility and poorness yeah. thing. Um, but Probably. it didn't help me not really identify with anyone. And I think that, sure. f- same as what you said, I think that the bits I really liked the most in the film were there was a lot of colour in a yeah, lot of the was, shots that I really liked. Nicely, uh, I don't know what, what, what the word for that would be, but it was, yeah, it was a very bright, well shot, well lit. Maybe. Yeah, lo- but lo- lots, lots of bright colours and the way the sets were all dressed and everything was really interesting. It was unusual and it wasn't something I'd necessarily seen before. A lot of the stuff of Singapore, like there was that huge three-pillared building oh, with the fact, thing on top that looked fantastic. That's the Marina Bay Sands Hotel and yeah. my parents have been there. They yeah. had Singapore Fine. slings up in the rooftop <laughs> bar there. And, uh, and then they went home to their other hotel, which was... Way less expensive because there's no fucking way that they could have afforded to stay at the Marina Bay <laughs> But it's like three entire skyscrapers with like a ship on top of it. With a bit on top. It looks amazing. <laughs> it looks like a ship a, elevated on three There's pillars. so many shots of this Google one Marina freaking Bay building. Sands. Yeah. <laughs> like, was this, movie, is this movie sponsored by that building? Uh, like, fucking probably. It, it makes you want to go to Singapore and have a look at all the shit, which I'd yeah, they love open to do. That, they open that rooftop infinity pool bar yeah. just for people to come and, like, as a tourism thing, come to the hotel. Don't oh, stay wow. at the hotel, just drink at the bar on top. That's cool um which is exactly what yeah yeah what my parents did without um, their son I might <laughs> which is why i haven't been to the rain of essence <laughs> andrew wishes he could go and drink cocktails with his parents <laughs> absolutely um, if it's there uh, absolutely <laughs> mom and dad next time fucking take me to that hotel <laughs> yeah um but no i didn't i wasn't particularly impressed by the movie i mean sure there were some laughs and i had some fun with it but there were i mean I went to go see it without you first, and I said, yeah. oh, no, I, I'm sure I'd be happy to go see it again. And, and you actually wouldn't I definitely would not want to see it again. <laughs> like, it's, it's, I was it really was like looking big, forward to it. because it, it was a big six out of ten for me. Yeah. It was like, I, yeah, me this too. is only 
marginally better than very mediocre. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm only marginally funnier and more fun than just watching Planet Earth. For I don't think hours. I laughed once uh, in the entire yeah, film. No, I think oh, we... no. There was the, so there was the Asian fail son character that, like, um, where he, like, takes photos of women, um, which. Yeah. <laughs> As I'm describing it, is, is <laughs> as it becomes apparent in the plot that actually, oh, he's just a bit of an like that adorable misogynist thing. Yeah. But uh, but it's funny at first when he's just like a completely socially inept yeah. uh, dork. Oh, and then imagine that. And then he's taking photos <laughs> of women, and it's actually creepy. But, yeah. But it starts off being funny, so that was the that was the most entertained I was in the entire film. I think. Yeah. yeah. No. But um. Mm. Yeah, I thought I thought some of the music was really cool. There are a couple of really cool like Mandarin covers of modern songs. There was, um, as we mentioned the other week, Coldplay uh, yeah, let them do Yellow. So there's an all Mandarin cover of Yellow by which Coldplay, great. which is really great. Yeah. And that was in the wedding scene, and that was really like a mm. nice emotional bit. There was a party scene where they did a Mandarin. I'm saying Mandarin. I think yeah, it's I Mandarin. Think it's cover of <laughs> cover of money. That's what I want. The best things in life are free. Yeah, that's right. Don't give me money. And they do that they one. do they do a whole breadth cool. of music. Like they do blues and jazz and yeah. rock and and I think there's a couple old like jazz songs that they've done. Yeah, I uh, Mandarin covers of as well. I didn't. Re- it's actually really hard to recognize. It even took me yeah. like four or five lines before I recognized that it was yellow. Yeah. Even though I knew that that's what... That was coming, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so the music, it's, it's the music is really good. To, it's really interesting to hear how hard yeah. it is to recognize a song when the lyrics aren't in English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe it's... The, the general aesthetic of the film I liked, it's just the actual writing that I didn't part, really like. I think... I think it was, it was it, the aesthetic and, yeah. and I guess whatever involvement with um, Singaporean Chinese culture yeah. it actually has. If this film this itself had had a different script, I might have enjoyed it a lot more. I yeah, and, and, you know, again, some of the acting was... Was fine, but some of the I don't really have a problem with the acting. I, I think the that the acting feel, felt a bit hammy. Everyone I talked to when I walked out of the cinema um, yeah. said that they yeah they had also experienced a similar like yeah kind of feeling of discomfort with the style of acting. Yeah, I don't know. So I mean, the reason why I mentioned the bit about the big sick, the big the big sick before about how I said it felt felt kind of natural and just felt like a, a human story where something where like people were funny in it was because this film felt very unnatural. Yeah, obviously. it was. And it felt like deliberate, very much like deliberately trying to make there be yeah. jokes every 30 seconds. That which is a style funny. of Which is a style of film, and loads of comedies are like that, and they work really well. But... Um, uh, I don't know. <laughs> obviously, don't know you know, there's comedies that. like Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz that are distinctly not natural, but, but they, they're deliberate attempts to make jokes regularly. Yeah. And there's loads of other yeah. comedies like Scott Pilgrim, for example, where they're, they're very deliberate attempts to make jokes, and they land, and they're not natural. So, in the same I way, guess. I think that this is it's so hard a to non-natural to those two things because the jokes in this are so bad. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, it's, it, <laughs> yeah. it's, so it's not the n- unnaturalness of the film that right. I have a problem with because right. lots of na- lots of films are very unnatural inherently. It's just the idea that the jokes weren't very funny, and I think it's just mm. the style of modern American mainstream Hollywood rom-coms where it's like a broad mass appeal of comedy. Well, like I found a lot of the time. The whole cinema would be laughing because I saw it like a busy Friday night. Yeah, right. And I turned to like the friend I was seeing. It was like, what are they laughing at? Yeah, like, I don't know. Oh, and it was just like, oh, he looks kind of silly there. There wasn't a joke there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, yeah. So I just don't think it was the sort of comedy that appeals to me. So perhaps if it was the sort of comedy that I personally had found funny, mm. the film would be great. Maybe was I was just a- unlucky in that the comedy wasn't the sort of comedy. There was that even I liked. like slapstick shit in it. Like it was so yeah. light. It was it was so like broad strokes. At yeah. one point, a woman takes an awkward sip from her drink 
and like they ham up the foley so you can hear like a loud <laughs> slurping sound and it's just like oh come on you might as well have like a, tum- a, a tumbleweed fashion, roll through the crate there's a fashion montage in it which is just the most fucking yeah cliche thing. <laughs> so yeah I think like I don't know I, I, I really liked it as kind of a celebration of of um a very thin slice of Singaporean Chinese yeah. American culture. But I also yeah. felt like having that huge, like big capitalist skin over the top of that kind of probably discolored. Well, I feel like the that's authenticity half the point, of that. But yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. But that might have been like that might have been the clickbait bit, but I would have been mm. more interested and more entertained by uh, a story of a middle class yeah. Singaporean uh, Chinese American family, yeah. and and again, I think that's probably not the point of the film. But I know I think I'd be more interested. It does suffer because of yeah. that. I think I'd be interested to maybe. I'm sure there are some reviews out there that have been written by Singaporean Americans or by by people who yeah. would have a better understanding of whether the attitudes and uh, relationships in this film are in any way authentic representations of what it's actually like. I think because if that's that... an authentic representation, maybe there'd be a lot more emotional investment you can have in this film that I personally didn't feel at all. I think one thing that it probably does quite well... So, I've read some accounts. Um, I saw people talking about it on Twitter. Yeah. Where they said, like, you know, I, I'm a Chinese immigrant who grew up in America. Um, and, you know, obviously, you experience a, a, an expected volume of racism for that. And it can make you... You want to be American. You don't yeah. want to be Chinese. And, and that's obviously terrible. Because you should be proud of, of whatever ethnicity that you enjoy and whatever cultural associations come from that. Yeah. And I think what this film probably does really well, which again, we're not well placed to pick up on, is, yeah. is it, it, it kind of um, almost like not exaggerates, but, but it's the, it, it makes that culture spectacular. Yeah. And so what they what these people were expressing is a sentiment of pride for being Yeah, no, okay, no, I def- no, I get that. Yeah, for sure. being Singaporean or 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 whatever and having that fusion of of not only their American selves and all of the things that come with that but also being able to enjoy the value that comes from being Chinese. The and, the idea that you've never had like a luxury porn type film set in Singapore about Singaporean culture. Yeah, type and not stuff. just no, the okay. fact that you now have that luxury porn video, but the fact that you you that 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 culture does exist and while this might be a madly overscaled version of that yeah it's still celebrating that at its yeah. core in the same so, way as those american films can celebrate that and we don't care about it but, yeah, yeah exactly and and we don't care about it but it, i guess to we've never had that kind of like we, we might take it for granted i see what yeah, you're saying exactly. in the same way as yeah. like there are people who have never seen that represented on a big hollywood screen exactly. who would be really touched and really moved by mm. by seeing their culture in a huge exaggerated over the top way represented on the big screen and they would yeah. love that yeah. and that's what i meant i guess partly before by saying like i'm not sure it's the sort of thing i'm well placed to enjoy yeah, to that, its full potential that was the part that i did enjoy about it i think almost everything else so that and the aesthetic yeah. almost everything else just falls apart really quickly. yeah and so that's why i'm so skeptical that this film is being i think it's got like 95 percent or something on rotten tomatoes and i'm confident oh, it's, it's definitely getting middle 70s everywhere that yeah. i've seen it's well, just okay so yeah well yeah maybe, maybe it's worth me reading any reviews but like yeah. i mean the ninety five percent on Rotten Tomatoes for me usually says like yeah it's a great it'll be a great comedy go see it whereas I just felt like it's not how it works buddy I imagine I imagine that don't, don't the algorithm's not flawed man don't don't, don't do this to me yeah <laughs> it totally is because if everyone thinks it's a six out of ten it gets a hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, Which see, is a maybe stupid system. Okay. Well, see, I feel like I've always <laughs> said, and here's my Rotten Tomatoes thing. I've always said that if it gets a really high rating of Rotten Tomatoes, if you like that sort of film, then you'll like You're it. You're probably so. It. Maybe yeah, my yeah. problem is it's that not unreasonable. I wouldn't have liked this sort of film in any yeah. other capacity, so I probably couldn't have gone, shouldn't have gone to see it. But I'm glad I saw it, so that I've yeah. been able to talk about it. But yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, same. It, it definitely wasn't a bad experience. I'm, I am glad that I went to see it, but yeah. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of parts of it that just don't hold up to a lot of scrutiny in uh, sort of universal film senses. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Should we, should we get into the news? Yeah, let's get let's get amongst it. All right. Beef Station, Beef Bulletin. All right, first headline. Mm. Academy postponing new popular Oscar category. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> the Academy of Motion Picture and Arts and Sciences is postponing the introduction of the new popular Oscar category it intended to reduce at the new awards ceremony coming up. It will continue to discuss the idea for the new award and will examine and seek additional input regarding the new category. There's been a wide range of reactions to the introduction of a new award and we recognize the need for further discussion with our members. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it certainly sounds that they're going to keep making some of those changes that they discussed, but that introducing this new popular film award might not be one of them, which sounds like a good thing to me. Um, yeah. Because I think that you still need to maintain a certain element of prestige and, like, who gives a fuck about TV I think ratings. I made it very clear how I felt about that award. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think that the Oscars have a tremendous amount of prestige. Oh, yeah, about that award. Fuck that award. But, like, the Oscars yeah. still have a tremendous amount of importance and prestige. And I think if they tried to compromise that in order to get TV ratings, yeah, that would that's really cheapen thing. it. I mean, they're, they're already on thin ice as it is. So, yeah, I reckon. Yeah, That's exactly. Yes. Um, Take so, a long fucking hard look at yourselves, Academy. Yeah. <laughs> Next headline: uh, the fight choreographer and stunt performer Chris Brewster, who did all Brewster. the fight stuff for the Netflix series Daredevil. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that at all. Is it's oh, it's fantastic. It's got very sort of. I think it was the film I showed you where it's got a scene that sort of mirrors that old boy hammer. Sure. Fight sequence. Um, it's going to make his oh, so this this stunt coordinator and stunt double that worked on Daredevil. It's going to make his directorial debut with zombie movie Outbreak, which aims to be an indie action horror movie cast entirely of renowned stunt doubles and stunt performers in all the leading roles. Jesus, which will be cool, I suppose. Alrighty. You'd hope they're good actors, sure. but I suppose it means you're basically getting a film comprised in an action film comprised entirely of actors doing their own stunts. Yep, which should be really fucking exciting to see. So that's called Outbreak Z. Sure. Um, and it's, they're going to be shooting no, it's called in... Outbreaks. <laughs> so it's going to be shooting in early 2019. Sounds like a cool idea for a film. Related news, uh, Crazy Rich Asians is absolutely destroying the US box office. Wow. Um, which is... But 143 great. million, I think it's made. It doesn't actually sound like that much. But that's it's only been open for like a week. Right, okay. Fine. So <laughs> <laughs> how much it will make is, is still up in the air, but... Yeah, okay, fine. Um, it it's not even like it's. I think the pace is not slowing. So it's yeah. the second time, or no, it's the third week in a row that it's absolutely blown out everything else. So yeah, I think it's just it's doing really well. Cool, yeah. good for it. Um, it costs way less than I expected to to make it. I guess because <laughs> considering the any... whole the whole point of the film is that <laughs> it's all this it's crazy rich, rich luxury. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, I guess they didn't have to CGI much of it. So that pr- that probably is why it didn't cost much. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, Dave Bautista isn't sure if he wants to return to Guardians of the Galaxy three, which yeah, as everyone that. knows is uh, postponed at the moment or on 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 hiatus, I guess. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it looks like they've really fucked that one. Um. 
kind of good. Yeah, great. Gra- <sighs> Glad that it's it's ending up in a catastrophic setting because I think they really did this to themselves. Yeah, Disney kind of like overreacted. Oh to yeah, this crazy so right wing Twitter shit. Shitheads. Anyway, no, fuck um, that. Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one, which is uh, a bit of a niche headline for some of us, uh, <laughs> some of us epic gamers out there. Um, for those of you familiar with the Witcher video game series, I yeah, this is, I think this was going to be my last headline as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. All right, um, Henry Cavill, who you'll know as uh, the mustache from Mission <laughs> Impossible Fallout, and, uh, <laughs> you'll know as the meat bag attached to the five million dollar mustache <laughs> and in Mission second Impossible. Second to that role, Superman in the <laughs> Zack Snyder's <laughs> Superman films, uh, which has been objectively hierarchized. <laughs> Henry Cavill is going to play Geralt the Witcher in Netflix's The Witcher series. Yeah, um, so apparently that looks he's fantastic. A, he's a big fan of the games. I saw um, an and interview. Is a fucking massive nerd loser because he's, he's played Eve Online. He's read all the books. Bo- he's read all the books as well. I saw yeah, an interview cool. where someone asked him about it last year, and he was like, "Yeah, I've read all the books. I've I just finished playing the game yeah. in between <laughs> takes and whatever this thing is." Yeah, because it's it's funny hearing that. Like, it's always nice being like, "Oh, there 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 are." The stars are, are like us, enjoy the yeah, same yeah. things as us. But this guy, he's played Eve Online, which is one of those like spaceship simulator games that has like its own fucking and you can spend, economy. H- you can spend hundreds you, of real world yeah, like, dollars. You buy real estate in <laughs> Eve Online. Like you, you're, you're putting thousands of hours into this shit. Yeah. I was astonished when I heard that. So he is like yeah. a an actual nerd. Yeah. Um, and it's just funny hearing that like people. He must have been so busy shooting all these fucking movies, and he still <laughs> had time to like finish the series. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Real question props. is whether he finished the main storyline and whether he did all the side quests as well. But, yeah. You know, did you hundred percent the game, Henry? <laughs> did you hundred percent the game? Oh. Um. Yeah. So I I think uh, that might be cool. I reckon it will. I mean, these these Netflix series are always fucking bad, with the exception of like Stranger Things. Oh no, I think that there's a lot of them, but so I don't think it's bad. The Daredevil series, I mentioned before okay. it's right. genuinely fucking fantastic so fingers crossed and it's one of the best don't... things to come out of the MCU right in a long time so I really hope they don't fuck this one because I think that has the potential to be really good the Witcher yeah. series is renowned for its kind of world building and it's like uh, character design how it, people especially it's like a Polish Lord of the Rings especially with the third one yeah it's <laughs> like really they've it, people say that it, you actually feel like you're walking around in a medieval village people aren't yeah. just saying bullshit like Oh, hey, having to empty my chamber pot. <laughs> it's actually like meaningful, meaningful dialogue. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so yeah, fingers crossed that that one's good. Um, yeah, and it, you know, again, based on a book by uh, Andre Strzyszkowski. Apologies to all of our Polish listeners. It's based on a book, so that generally gives the script a kind of first run, and hopefully, they can kind of improve it from there. So yeah. Yeah, that, that might be cool. Right. Well, I think that's probably all of the movie news we have for this week. Burt right? Reynolds died. We saw that. Burt Reynolds died. Yeah. He was eighty-two. I haven't Rest seen many of the movies. I don't think that he's I've ever seen him in a movie. In. I only know him from Archer. Archer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want yeah. to go back and watch Smokey and the Bandit and um, whatever that other movie is he's famous for being yeah. in. Yeah. Um, just because Archer's obsessed with it. Definitely no. not a particularly. Uh, a particularly close one to our hearts, but uh, yeah, no. a lot of people loved him. So, yeah. R.I.P. Burt Reynolds, but yeah. no, I, I don't think he's had a, 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 a real one. A big effect on my life very no, much definitely at all. Not. So, fuck him. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Uh, it made absolutely no difference to us. 
Oh, oh, final little headline. Yeah. Die Hard 6's title is McLean. <laughs> is, it, is it Die Hard 6 colon McLean, or is it just literally McLean? <laughs> the cop versus terrorist action saga is set, <laughs> is set to continue in an upcoming sixth film, simultaneously following Bruce Willis as a 60-year-old McLean and Fuck. a younger incarnation of McLean in his 20s. It's going to be played I by wonder- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really say... I w- <laughs> that would be funny. That would be funny. That'd be great. Um, it's still got the prosthetic nose lying around somewhere. Yeah. Um, no, this doesn't, this doesn't say whether it's going to be him CG'd to look younger. They're getting really good at doing that, though. Yeah, they like, fucking are. Looper was incredible. Yeah. And, and like... Um, no, that was, that was just Justin Gordon-Levitt. Oh. <laughs> no, because like... It, did you see Robert Downey Jr. in uh, Captain America Civil War? There's a scene no. where he uh, yes. is CG yeah, to yeah, look yeah, really yeah, young, have, and he looks yeah. amazing. Yeah, that was one. Of, that was a weird scene though, because they like hyper saturated it and made it look like one of those nostalgic memories. <laughs> Deliberately, because it was part of some VR experience that he was in. I think. Yeah, it exactly. was the point. So, so like, they could sort of get away with it. <laughs> All right, I think that's it for episode 15 yeah. of Beef Station for this week. Wrap it up. Yeah, uh, like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com/slash/beefstationpod. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beefstationpod at gmail.com. That's our email address. Uh, if we can't think of anything, we're going to be watching at the movies. If there isn't some big blockbuster we want to go out and see, we're going to take a dip from our movie suggestions. I think next week we're going we'll to be doing... Make our own bust. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Ne- we'll bust our own block. We've got a big tank of listener suggestions that we're hitting up now. I think next yeah, week we're going to... Ready to bust all over the place. Please. <laughs> <laughs> next week we're going to take a dip in. I think we're going to do one of um, Anna's suggestions next yeah. week. Yeah. So yeah. Look, look forward to that. Um, I've been Oscar. I'm still Andrew. Have a good week. 清风